Hey, Brian Trahan. Hey, thanks for having me. <laughs> I have to confess to you that I was pretty sure when we started this whole thing that there was no way I was going to limit us to one episode. <laughs> I think it's mostly because I like talking to you a lot. Yeah. I love the way your mind works. So in the last episode, we took a deep dive into Daniel Chiroti's work and your relationship with Daniel and some of your thoughts and feelings about your many roles as a producer. And we talked about you kind of being like kind of a midwife, kind of a co-parent, sometimes a babysitter of a song, mm-hmm. right? And your goal is to give songs like a healthy life. So that these songs could be listened to in different environments and still appreciated, right? Yeah. But we didn't get as far as we wanted to in terms of sharing more of your work. What do you want to do today? (laughs) Well, I have another song here that I can show you. It's very different than the first one we were discussing. This one's called Shrinking In by Kelsey Bray. I just wanted to kind of go through this very different type of a process that we have. Can I pause you for a second? Who's Kelsey Bray? Oh, Kelsey Bray, she's actually from Texas, but she's also living in Berlin. Okay. She's an American singer-songwriter. She writes very cinematic pop music, mostly about the inner workings of her mind, uh, struggles with creativity. How did you meet her? Well, she runs a really great open mic at Prachtwerk, which is this... I've been there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm sure you've seen her before, actually. She always opens and closes. Yes, that's her. That's her, yeah. (laughs) Oh, cool. Revelations. That's Kelsey. That's Kelsey. Okay. We spoke with her for a hot minute out in front of Project. Yes, we did. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. I saw her singing. She has this very unique ability to repeat something multiple times, and it sounds almost identical every time. But it's just adding meaning every... It's like she's great at using repetition as a tool, which I think a lot of pop music today is using repetition as a crutch. Yeah. uh, Instead of it actually having a a purpose. And with Kelsey's music, I just... Every time she says something again, I feel it deeper. And melodically, I think it's the same. Her melodies are so haunting and very clear, very simple, but very directly connected with the lyrics. Can you tell me the story of how you two first connected, maybe the Genesis story of this particular producer-artist relationship? Sure, sure. Actually, this was one of the few times where I really offered. A lot of times with an artist, a new artist, they'll actually approach me to be their producer because they'll have heard my work or I'll have mentioned I'm a producer and they'll tell me that they need production or something that simple a lot of the time and we listen to music together and see where it takes us but with Kelsey I just had a such a clear vision because her music yeah it just has this innocence and clarity that I find just really inspiring. Since ordinarily artists will approach you and ask you to work with them what did it feel like to walk up to Kelsey and be like um I really like what you do. Can I, can I work with you? Well, what did that, what did that moment feel like to you? It felt really nice. It felt like giving somebody a gift and 
I, I only say that because it was a compliment, you know? Yeah. I, I came up and said, that was beautiful, and I have ideas. Uh, is it produced? I asked that first because okay. maybe she already realized the full vision for the piece with someone else, and it's exactly how she always wanted it. Um, so I don't want to say, oh, I have ideas to make your song better if it's already done. Right, right. That's a really risky thing and it happens <laughs> all the time, you know? Oh, okay. It's just one of those things. Uh, it's it's like telling somebody details about their clothes or their outfit that you don't like. It's It can feel a bit hurtful in, in yeah. certain contexts. Especially if you're already out, you know, and there's nothing they could do to change it at that point. Right, right? yeah, they're <laughs> out and you're like, oh, did you realize, you know, your dress is a little bit ugly? Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. no, sorry, I didn't. Or um, do you realize you have a huge ketchup stain on your shoulder? Exactly, like, something like this. Yeah, right? it's it's uh, it's actually kind of unbecoming. And like, yeah. well, we're already here. So. Yeah, right, we're yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> did you connect with her as a person? Like, did you feel like you and Kelsey kind of saw eye to eye and how important is that by the way that like you can like enjoy the space you share with them as just like you know people you know it's special with Kelsey because I think we're the most focused of any of the artists I'm working with we really connect through the music we, we don't share so much personal details about our lives. Uh, it's, it's much more, yeah, just focused work. We have shorter studio days and they're very f- efficient. I mean, this piece, for example, was arranged in one day, the whole thing. Well, let's dive into it. What are we going to hear? Okay, so this song is called Shrinking In. Uh-huh. Kelsey wrote this song about the feeling of shying away from your own creativity kind of uh avoiding confrontation kind of it's about holding back and kind of like being withdrawn into yourself so this was actually the song that i approached her about i heard her perform this and i thought it was gorgeous she played it i think on ukulele and vocals which is kind of her her go-to approach and i said i just heard it with a huge sense of space and she said, that's great. I want to be a, a cinematic pop artist. Hey. And I was like, okay. She speaks my language. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. I mean, I'm ne- I, she's the first cinematic pop thing I've ever done. Um, but uh, except for ad work in New York. But, um, but she thinks big. Yeah, she thinks very big. And I just wanted to leave tons of space for her and her voice. And I had the whole vision, actually, from the beginning of having these vocal stabs that decay. I mean, the first thing I always think about is, what is the song about? It's about avoiding, it's about going inside yourself. So a lot of these sounds are going to be kind of synths that sweep around and kind of surround you like fear does. So you'll hear the intro kind of has this slow, creeping build of a synth. Here we go. I say I'm 
when the vocal comes in, everything leaves her completely abandoned. That was kind of the first vision that led me to connect with Kelsey was this moment I knew in the song that this was going to be the core of the idea. So I just discussed it with her and she loved the concept. And that was why eventually she ended up working with me. All right. Yeah. So um, sometimes it's that simple. It's just talking about ideas and then you realize you, you have the same intuition. Yeah. You got reason to trust each other, reason to have faith that the process can work. Right. Exactly. And there's these vocal stabs. And that was the other thing that before we even started working together, I had this vision for this sound that I'll show you. And that was the sound that I heard right at the beginning. That, ah, 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 ah. I sang it to her. She really liked the idea. I say I'm not afraid. And then she's just like embraced by this voice that's stuck in this repetitive pattern. Okay, so the verse continues. Another thing about this is there is uh, a lot of vocal percussion in this song. I'll try to show you that as well. So that was just someone going, and then with a delay on it. Ah. Mm-hmm. The drums in the verse come from the Hans Zimmer sample pack from Spitfire Audio. Uh, and this is a really great uh, cinematic uh, and film score tool. Um, if you're interested in creating an orchestra or anything like it with your computer. So the drum sounds are... This song has a groove in it, and the groove is very open because she wanted an. We're, we were going for like an open and cinematic feel. So in order to achieve that, you need to leave space for big drums to resonate. Yeah. If you have a big drum that goes boom, 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 it doesn't give you a sense of big space. It just creates kind of chaos. So uh, it's actually a four-bar groove that would be counted like this: one, two, one, two, one two, one, two, and then it starts over again. So that helps with this extra space feeling. Cool. And then we get to a big chorus. And to make the chorus open up, we add some new elements. We add extra backing vocals. And this is where she's really saying the main point of the feeling, which is shrinking in, turning in, 
smaller and smaller I'm floating. That's the lyric. So you can see how lyrically focused I am as a producer. It's really every, every choice comes from the lyrics and the intention behind the song. I guess that's really it. I'm happy to show you the full song if you'd like. Or is there any other questions? Yeah, just one small question. Like, I wonder how in your work you're able to resist the temptation to go big all the time. (laughs) And how you're able to exercise the restraint that's required to give the lyrics and the intent of the song the space that it needs to shine. Hmm. Yeah, I think at first I was very much wondering always, how do I make this bigger? How do I make these things sound brighter, more in your face, more full-bodied? Everything was just about being as big as possible. When you mic things in general, it's not the first way that it sounds. You have to work to make things sound like that. And... um once you learn how to make things big, then you realize that you don't really like listening to big music that much. <laughs> right. Like nothing I really keep going back to listen to, none of my favorite bands are really going for this big polished sound. So then you kind of have to come back and think about, okay, so how little can I do to make this beautiful? And you realize that often the less you do the more natural it ends up sounding even in the last episode when i was showing you the original recordings of daniel's mixes from funk house yeah yeah. i was kind of thinking why didn't we just stop there (laughs) it sounded great i mean we added a lot more elements and we have great reasons to add them but sometimes it's just nice to leave that space And it's the same thing when you want something to sound massive, it requires you to actually leave the space anyway. So you can make it even bigger that way. This is one example of going big. Like the song is meant to be big and it's not often that I'm working with artists who want that. But for Kelsey's music, I think it works really well. Is it foolish of me to seek to be reductive and go to the old trope? Less is more. <laughs> no, I think that's a really hard one to learn in this field because mostly because the more times you hear a song, you just get bored of it just like you would anything. It's often enough uh, with very little. Yeah. Three elements, I think, Michael Brower talks about. Like three, three elements can be in focus at one time. That's Coldplay's producer and mixing engineer. All right. Yeah. So I got so much pleasure doing it last time. Can I do it again? Will it bore you? Can I? It won't bore you, will it? (laughs) All right, Rishi, let's have it. All right, this is my Rishikesh Airway moment reprise. (laughs) Just get really close to the mic and say it like even breathier than normal. Is that what it is? Yeah. And so now, Shrinking In by Kelsey Bray. In its entirety. Did I get it? You got it! That was great. (laughs) All right, let's hear it.
So I love that song. Mm-hmm. And I love that song the first time I heard it. It's like not exactly like something that might come across my airwaves. Like it wouldn't probably pop up on my Spotify channel. Mm-hmm. But like I feel really connected to it. And maybe it's just because I feel connected to you. But I can't help but wonder like, how do you know when a track is completed and ready to send off into the ether? Wow, that is a really great question. To be perfectly honest, I never know that answer. Most of the great mixing engineers work extremely fast. Like we're talking sometimes three hours or six hours for a huge mix. For me, I take at least a day on a mix, often two. For a big mix like this, I probably spent a day and a half on this, maybe even two. And that's you sitting in front of this beautiful computer screen that I'm looking at in front of your digital audio workstation, just dialing things in, playing with digital knobs and buttons, right? Yes. Yeah. It's uh, everything from getting the levels right to keeping the dynamics of different instruments under control so you can hear them all happening at the same time to adding distortions to certain sounds, which happens a lot in this, actually, to getting the frequency spectrum to kind of balance in a certain way so that it can be played on different types of speakers. There's so many ways to start a mix, but once the arrangement is completed of a song, for me, that's much easier to complete the arrangement than the mix. I think I'm actually, to be honest, I'm a better arranger than a mixer in general, though I did mix this and Daniel's track as well. The problem with mixing is the more you listen, the more fatigued your ears are and the less you have a clear perspective. So every time I do a mix, I have to come back in the morning the next day, listen to it. And if it still sounds great, then I'll probably still fix a few things. (laughs) Like there's always going to be new things you hear. The next day you can do the same thing. There's going to be more things. And you just have to kind of choose when you're ready to let it go. Yeah. So you had used this analogy when we first started talking about how you're kind of a midwife, sometimes a co-parent. And there comes a time when you have to send your little kid out into the world to go live its life. What does that feel like? When it's somebody else's kid, it's much easier. (laughs) It's much easier. I'm sure as a teacher, you know about this. Yeah, yeah. Sending your students to college, probably it's a relief. I don't know. Yeah, when I see that someone posts a song that I had worked on and it's out in the world, it's just this great feeling of release kind of like okay it's free um yeah i even think about oh do i still have the files is everything okay and then i think oh wait that doesn't matter anymore yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) like it does matter i save a lot of backups but (laughs) it's a great feeling but when it's my own kid i have a really hard time with it to be honest do you have a hard time releasing your music in the world music yeah for example i haven't released the record that's been done for two years that I've been sitting on. It sounds like there's a lot of feelings around that. (laughs) Yeah. It would be nice if I was uh, a little more able to let them go. But uh, I think 
this is one of the times where being a producer is not helpful because when you're the songwriter working with a producer, they're the ones helping with these decisions like, okay, it's done now. But as a producer myself, even though I had somebody else engineer and mix my record, I still have this feeling like, oh, if I just change these few things, it'll be better. And uh, yeah, it's a really dangerous game to play, especially the older the music gets, the more disconnected you become from it. Yeah, it's a very challenging place to be, but that's not related to the feelings of the music anymore. And the further away you get psychologically from that, the more you're uh, missing the point of the whole thing. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I can, I mean, but I do love this music and I'm really excited for when I finally uh, release it. I'm looking forward to it also. I also kind of wondered, I've been meaning to ask you, you've been doing this for a while now. Mm-hmm. 15 I w- years. 15 <laughs> years. And you've cultivated a well-earned, if I dare say, reputation. I wonder how your thinking about your practice has changed over the last say, five years. What do you know now and what do you do differently now than five years ago? Well, five years ago, I was living in Red Hook in Brooklyn and uh, producing some records, working on my album, actually. I used to really just try things to see if they would work sometimes. Like, maybe we could put a bass guitar here maybe like maybe it would be nice to have some extra percussion or some an extra instrument or maybe this melody would be really beautiful here things like that and I've completely changed away from that to only add something if it serves the intention behind the song like I've done a whole album with Stephanie for example with no bass because it wasn't necessary for the music. Her voice is so full. The guitar sound was very rich. Like it just wasn't serving the music. Uh, I think um, being able to make those choices before having to try everything (laughs) is really nice. You know, like maybe we try just a little bit of this with cinnamon or a little bit with like seasoning. Now we're seasoning our children. It's it's getting (laughs) kind of crazy over here. Yeah, the metaphor is run amok. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you're going to eat the children, you should season them. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, no one likes bland a toddler. Right, exactly. We have <laughs> we have entered into the realm of cannibalism. <laughs> Not the first time. Yeah, we knew that's where this was going to go. Mm-hmm. So if I'm hearing you right, what you're saying is one way your work has changed is that like through the multitude of experiences that you have, like you have a better sense of what will or won't work. And you don't have to try everything because maybe in your years of being kind of like a workaholic producer and working crazy hours, Mm -hmm. seven days a week, you tried some things. A few things. A few things. And so you can trust your instinct and trust your judgment. And like, have you become like a more efficient and effective decision maker? in terms of like what to add to a composition? I'm able to hear a little more clearly before I try something what it would sound like. Like I have really clear intentions, a a sound that I'm actually going for specifically instead of vague ideas about what it might be. (laughs) Like that's the big 
important thing <laughs> that's changed. I would say like in the next five years, I want to collaborate more with other people with complementary skill sets to, to just let other people mix certain tracks and certain genres that I produce or vice versa, you know, do some mixing for people who produce for other people just to kind of keep projects moving, have more of these relationships with other engineers like myself. Because I have been working somewhat on my own for a long time, which I, I love and I think I thrive. I've, I've learned to thrive in this way, really one-on-one, -on -one, really personal with an artist. Yeah. But I'm also just curious to, yeah, move through more projects by sharing more with other people like doing my job. Well, you're in the right place for it. It reminds me that I wanted to ask you this question. You've been in Chicago, Ann Arbor, you've been in Red Hook, and now you're in Berlin. And I want to know what Berlin means to you as a producer. Wow. It's a great question. <laughs> I say that every time. <laughs> um, what does Berlin mean to me? Because this city is like... There's something in the air, particularly in this neighborhood mm -hmm. we're in right now. Like there's a lot of creative people. Like there's an energy in Berlin. What does it mean to you? I think the best way to answer is to compare it to other places I've been. In New York, there was an energy of being productive. It was so important. Being busy, this need to constantly be creating something or performing somewhere and also advertising for yourself. It's a bit more of like a capitalistic approach to music. Even though I find tons of creativity in New York and the best musicians in the world live there, I'm convinced. Yeah, it's New York. <laughs> it's New York and LA as well. I mean, but Berlin adds quality of life and subtracts pressure. So what I was wanting in New York while I was there was a cabin in the woods to ride in. I just wanted to be in a place where I could be around great talent, but also see a tree every once in a while that <laughs> didn't look like it was struggling to breathe. Yes. Or covered in New York, New York sludge. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, so Berlin means more creative freedom and inspiration. It doesn't feel like it's trying to get something from me. <laughs> it, it's offering space. There's cheap food and cheap rent, sort of, Yeah. comparatively. It's getting worse. I have to, I feel obliged to say. <laughs> yeah. Everyone says it because it's true. Yeah. I had a guest on this program who referred to this as having margin in your life. Boom. I love it. I love it too. And I think that Berlin offers both of us some margin. Absolutely. Well, I, for one, am wicked grateful to have you in Berlin. My life in this city has been so much more rich with you here. This has been a total romp. I've loved everything about this conversation, but because... I am nothing if not an ingrate. <laughs> I still have to ask you for two things. 
First, would you be willing to share with me a cultural artifact that somehow informs or inspires what you do? This could be anything. It could be like a film or a song or a mural or like just one cultural artifact that somehow speaks to what you do as a producer. It can be a song. It can be a song. Okay. What's the most well-produced song or what's the best song you've ever produced? You want, can you give me both of those? Oh my God. The best produced song. You know, it has to be a Phoebe Bridger song because, uh, I, I mean, I'm talking about today. Okay, today. Yeah. Stuff coming out right now. Uh -huh. I really feel like Phoebe Bridger's team, Ethan Griska, Tony Berg, Blake Mills, these people are making just pure emotional music. It's just the exact same approach that I'm trying to do, yeah. and they're doing it flawlessly. I want to pin you in. Please let me. If our listeners were to dial up one Phoebe Bridgers track that oh, really wow. illustrates what you're talking about. Mm. Honestly, I love Halloween by Phoebe Bridgers. It's on Punisher, the album. All right. The reason I wanted to say why. Okay. Because there's been a trend for so many years since probably the 70s, late 70s, to make things brighter and more aggressive in the high mids, which just means it sounds harsh to listen to the music. And you don't think of it that way because there's a lot of bass still. It's a very full spectrum. But this team is willing to kind of shy away from these harsh defining sounds except in the vocal and just give this very smooth bouncy sort of sound where there's a lot of low mids yeah this team of people is is doing incredible work kind of reshaping the sound field specifically to create more uh connected emotions and emotional responses. And you'll have to forgive me, but what's the one Brian Trahan produced track that we could link our listeners to and sort of illustrates where you're at right now? Okay. Okay. So actually there's just so many things that haven't been released yet that I'm incredibly excited about from the other artists I've produced. But if I had to pick one that has come out very recently, I would say uh, one of the two tracks that I've put out from my album, Three Out of Four Chambers of My Heart Agree, is the name of the album, and uh, the track is called Take Your Time. Hey, man, can we play it on our way out? Would that be cool? Yeah. You, really? You don't yeah, mind? of course, no. And um, I'll tell you a little about it. Okay. It started as a piano ballad in the style of kind of Beck from Morning Phase. And I wrote it for my grandpa before he passed away. And um, it was about knowing that he would go, even though it wasn't for another year, and telling him to go slowly. Like I didn't, I just wanted to show him that how much we appreciated him in our lives. I made it in a way that I think he would like it. Um, it's sort of in a 
Billy Joel sort of crooner, that sort of energy. That was the original approach. And then I, I don't know if it was that I got bored of it that way or if it felt too sad, but I decided I wanted to take a different perspective on it and kind of make it as if I'm looking up to someone in the sky. And uh, so I created musical clouds that pass very quickly and go to black. And that was the vision that kind of carried the production of this song. These synth swells and these strings and clarinets create chaos and then disappear. And then it's like a bunch of breaths, like a day starting and ending. And I wanted to feel like an old tape recorder, like somebody telling you to take your time and don't leave. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you, sir, are very important to me, and I cannot thank you enough for being here with me and sharing with me. This has been a tremendous joy for me. I think we really did something here. Like, I am so grateful mm. for your energy and your putting up with me. We just did a double episode. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, wow. Thanks for having me. It's been wonderful. Press play. Press play. Diamonds on the water, the silver songs you always sang, the riches we remember are the love that never So take your time with this one. Cause I can't bear to see you go The sun still rises on its own time But it can't be time to let you go You jump more than we can see You keep your subjects like Till we forget who's king and queen 
That one, that one slays me every time. And thus concludes my first two-part conversation in the history of this here podcast. I can hardly thank Brian enough for sharing his artists and sharing himself and for giving us a window into how music producers work. As always, the links to the stuff we talk about, including Kelsey's music, Brian's music, and the playlist of tracks that Brian has produced. It's all there for you to click on in the show notes. Please enjoy. All right. So follow this show wherever you get podcasts. Maybe leave a review. And if you dig what you hear, please tell a friend or two. And if a for a living means something to you, and you have the means to give a few, please consider supporting me over at patreon.com slash for a living. I'll be back with you in two weeks and together we'll explore the working life of Los Angeles-based photographer Sonia Nauman. Until then, please take care. Be kind to yourself. <laughs>